this year I have discovered again an interest that I had many years ago, which is learning about what we call cosmology, uh, astrophysics, and sort of all the secrets of the universe out there. I used to be very interested in it, and for some reason I am again now. So this year I've been watching a lot of videos on YouTube about what's inside a black hole, uh, what happened to the Big Bang, if we know, and all the different types of stars are out there, all those sorts of things. Uh, and I find that the size and the scale of the universe and its age and what's in it is quite mind-bending to uh, contemplate. And I think when, we, you know, when you try to take it in, and all these mysteries out there are quite fascinating to me at the moment. I think uh, one of the sad things that we've lost a bit in modern times is really... Uh, the wonder of looking up at the night sky. Uh, there are so many lights now in our cities and around a neighbourhood like this that one of the sad things is actually drown out most of all but the biggest and the brightest stars in the sky. And so I think in other times, in other places, um, to go outside at night meant looking up at a huge carpet of stars above us in the heavens. Uh, and if you contemplate that kind of sight and reflect on it enough, it invites you, I think, to think about what is our place in this universe and what are we doing here? What's the ultimate meaning of things? It's actually something that really encourages that kind of thinking. And so I think the psalm today that we've read and, and heard sung is written from that particular perspective. So this is someone who has looked up into the sky at night and realised that this tells me things about the wonder and the greatness of God, the God that I worship. And so the writer of the psalm turns that feeling of wonder into a song of praise that takes in the whole of creation. And, as, and that song, I think, as we look at it today, I hope we can see, it teaches us more as Christians about what, how we look at the world, how we look at ourselves, and perhaps how we look at God even in a renewed way. So firstly, I want us to look at this psalm to see the thoughts and feelings that are on display here as we look at it today. So if we read Psalm 148 as we have from beginning to end, what we really see is a journey through the universe. So the writer starts at the very highest part of the heavens above and moves down into the earth. And he moves things that are important or seem very high above us to the small and the humble things below or around him. And as he goes through all of these things, he calls upon them to praise the Lord. So firstly, in verses 1 to 4, we read, He looks up into the sky and he calls out to everything he sees up in the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the angels, and the waters that they used to believe were above the skies. And he says to them, Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord from the heavens. So what is he saying? Well, who are these heavens that he's calling on to praise the Lord? Well, the heavens are really this whole world above that we can see, this place in the sky, the lights and the spiritual beings there, and a place that to us, as we look up, appears to be unchanging, eternal. So the heavens are the source of energy, the source of heat, the source of life for the world below. Uh, and in other religions of the time, these heavenly bodies, so the stars and the sun and the moon, they would be considered to be gods themselves and things that were to be worshipped by us. But for the psalmist, as he looks up, he knows that they are just, even as high as they are, they are just part of the creation. Uh, they're things that have been made by God, and therefore they should praise the Lord along with everything else. And why should these heavenly creatures praise the Lord? Well, he goes on to say, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created 
and he established them forever and ever, and he issued a decree that will never pass away. So he says, the heavens above should praise the Lord because their very existence, even these things that seem not unchanging to us, even their very existence comes from God's will. Uh, and the fact that they continue to exist is because God wants them to. There's certainly these high creatures, perhaps we can't understand, noble things, but they are still creatures and they should praise the Lord as well. So that's where he begins, up in the heavens. And then in the psalm, we see he sweeps down to the earth in verses 7 to 12 and says, praise the Lord from the earth. Uh, so if the heavens are full of the unchanging eternal things, he sees the earth around him is full of the things that move and grow, the things that we know very well. So we sweep past the sea creatures into the ocean depths, all the different kinds of weather that we see around us in the skies, over the mountains, through the trees, and all the big animals and the small animals around us. Uh, and finally, we come in his vision to human beings, both powerful human beings like the kings of the nations um, and humble people like the children. But all of us too, he says, we should praise the Lord. So praise the Lord from the earth. And why should the earth praise the Lord? Well, he says, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. So the creatures on earth, he says, should praise God because we can see this infinite distance between God and us. The splendor, the beauty and the power that must be his for this world he's made. But we also praise him on the earth because he doesn't keep that distance from us. That God actually is willing to share his presence and his strength and his love with human beings. So in verse 14 he says, And he's raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his people of Israel, the people close to his heart. So that's the psalm that we've just read and think about. So in Psalm 148, the psalm of praise, you start from the highest of the heavens and go down and end up in the deepest heart of God. So this is a psalm of total praise and worship of God from the highest part of the cosmos, as far as we can see, to the lowest part, perhaps that we even can't see. Now, for us who know that the universe isn't quite up and down in the way that he might have thought about it, it's just, he's really still saying, though, from our, from our perspective, this psalm is saying we move from the largest scale of things, the oldest things that we can see, to the very small and humble things around us. And all of those things, no matter how humble or important, he says, you should praise the Lord, all of you. So this is the last in our series on the Psalms, and we've been looking at a selection which some people call the Psalms of Reorientation. The Psalms of Reorientation. So the Psalms is quite a long book in the Bible. It's a book of 150 songs, and it describes these songs, the whole life of people with God, and all the different facets of our relationship with him. And so there are so many different things that can be brought out as we read the Psalms. But one of the things that does come out is this theme of reorientation that some of the Psalms address. And by that we mean this idea that we have experiences where we go through a difficult time or we're struggling, we're being put down, we're in sin perhaps or in failure, uh, and then we come out into a new time with God. And so this reorientation means we change the direction of our life where we're facing and where we're headed and God calls us into a new season with him. So I believe that Psalm 148 is one of these psalms of orient, reorientation. And why is that? Well, because it recognises, as we've seen, and it affirms that the ultimate, innate, created orientation of all creation is towards God. 
And in that sense, it's the most fundamental of all the psalms of reorientation. Because what this psalm says is that everything in the universe, from the depths of the sea to the highest star, human beings, angels, animals, everything that fills the space in between, everything that is not God, everything that is created, has been made to travel deeper and deeper into a knowledge and experience of God. That is our natural orientation. And when we follow that path, we grow and become what we were supposed to be, what we're made to be. But on the other hand, though, when we think of things like sin, evil and failure, those are disorientation. We travel away from God into nothingness, away from what we were supposed to be, and we fall apart. And so in this way, I think the way that Psalm 148, it really expresses this idea of our cosmic orientation toward God's towards God is it speaks about the necessity and the idea of praise as a, as a reorientation. So when you think of, about praise, which is one of the big themes of this psalm, what do, we, what do we think of? So for us, I think praise, we associate it with the songs that we sing in church and those sorts of activities. So specifically words and singing about God in a positive way, praise the Lord. But I think more deeply than that, so praise essentially is actually the act of any created being to turn and to orient itself towards the reality of God in a way that's appropriate for who and what we are. That's what it means to praise God, to actually turn ourselves towards him in a way that's appropriate for who we are. And I think that's why the psalm actually calls on inanimate objects and forces like mountains and trees to praise the Lord. Have you thought about how a mountain might praise the Lord? Basically, it's just by sitting there and being a mountain, I think. Um, you know, there's not much it can do. And I don't think it's just a poetic device, you know, like everything praise the Lord. Um, in some sense, everything actually can praise God, no matter who or what it is. You know, so the physical world praises God by existing, by behaving naturally and doing the way, they're doing the things that he's made it to do. Praise the Lord, you trees, grow. Praise the Lord, mountains, sit there being mountain-like, still praising God. But spiritual creatures, of course, humans and angels and other beings like us, we can praise God more intentionally. You can turn your heart to God, your mind to him, and personally move deeper into this relationship that he's calling us into. And that's the heart of praise for us, I think. And so that's how we move closer to God and orient ourselves towards him. And according to the psalm, praise is the way that we experience God moving closer to us too. And it expresses his orientation towards us. So praise, when we praise God, we're not just directing worship at God on high who may or may not be listening, but we're actually entering into a, co a connection with God and his strength. And when we reorient ourselves towards God, we realise, oh, actually, God's oriented towards us always. He's always moving towards us and never moving away. So in verse 14, as I read, it says, And he's raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. In the culture of Israel, the idea of a horn, that's a symbol of strength. It's a symbol of power. And so for God's people, it says, Our strength is found when we praise God. So the horn is... The praise, this strength that God gives is the praise of the people who are close to God's heart. So to praise God, it's saying, actually is the source of our strength. It draws us closer to God's life. It draws us closer to his power, closer to his love. And in that you feel and understand he is drawing close to us. 
This is what we were made to do. And we need that strength. We need this horn of praise because we realise, actually, I think it can be very hard to reorient ourselves towards God in the midst of life. Um, because Psalm 40, 148, as we read, gave us his, gives us his ideal picture of the cosmic world of praise. Everything is praising the Lord all the time. But is that true? You know, Of course, we know that that's not actually the way that we live, even a fraction of the time. We're not always praising the Lord. Uh, and the world that we live in is disoriented, and it is falling away from God in many parts. And we're part of that too. There is even a sense in which the physical world is partaking in sin and in this lack of a fullness of God. So reorientation, I think, is not just a matter of choice. It's saying, well, just do what feels good or feels right to you. It's also a matter of salvation. It's a matter of grace. To be reoriented, we need to be saved. And that's a question where I think Jesus Christ comes in for us. Um, so as we look today at this psalm, I can't really ignore Christmas is only three days away and it's on our mind in everything that we say and do. So, but the Christmas story is relevant to this theme, to Psalm 148, because the Christmas story, the incarnation of Jesus, which means being born in a body, it's actually the story and the key idea of how human beings like us can begin to be reoriented towards God when we're not along with the rest of creation that needs to be healed. So if we take this cosmic picture that Psalm 148 gives us, this, the heavens and the earth and everything in between, um, the incarnation of Jesus, the birth of God's Son, is like the descent of God from above the highest heavens down to the earth and to the lowest part of human existence. And the point of that action that he took, which we celebrate at Christmas, is that Jesus unites then heaven and earth together in praise to God and saying we can actually come back now together to praise God as we were made and to be reoriented towards him. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he explains this idea very well in his book Miracles. So he says, The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and to bring the ruined world up with him. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then up again, back to colour and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover." So he and it are both coloured now that they have come up into the light. Down below where it lay colourless in the dark, he lost his colour too. So we can see as we come to it, Christmas and the incarnation of Jesus is the story of the reorientation of the world by God's grace. He's come down to take the things that were turned away from him, falling away, and to bring them back up so that this vision of praise in Psalm 148 can be achieved everything will praise the Lord. 
So as we finish our series, I just want to come back to the final message, I think, of what the Psalms of Reorientation are saying uh, to us at the moment. Um, in the end, in our spiritual life, our life with God, what needs to be changed, what needs to be transformed is not just the way we think and the way we feel, but often our location or a sense of where we are spiritually. And the Psalms remind us that all of us in some way or another end up down in the lower places of the world, the low places of the spirit, you know, turning away from God, being disoriented and not close to him and not praising him. And this can be either because we've fallen down through our failures or sin or because we have been pushed down by the forces of the world that want to separate us from God. And this is the idea, we saw this idea about the mud and the mire in Psalm 40 that people find ourselves in, you know, calling out to God and hopeless. And so the temptation in that experience of disorientation is to wallow in the mud and say, well, I can't get out, and to allow that to be our orientation and our understanding of who we really are in that experience. Where are we headed? Further down or we'll never get out. But actually, the Psalms teach us that we are made to be creatures of praise and that God is going to lift us up and bring us up from, his, from the mud into his love, up to the highest place with him. Um, and in that movement towards God, Jesus Christ is with us and he's actually the one who is lifting us up. So as we meditate on that today, I think we finish our series on the Psalms. I think the final word in the Psalms goes to the final verse of this Psalm, and which is actually the final words of the whole book of Psalms and sums it all up very well. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's nothing else to say. Let me pray. Lord, all of us here are down in a place we're not quite oriented towards you. We pray that wherever we are, whether we're in the mud or you're lifting us up, that you would be walking alongside us. We thank you for this vision of praise that you've given us, the calling for everything to be turned towards you, to your love, to your strength and to your joy. I pray that we would experience this Christmas the fact that your grace has come to lift us up to that. Please reorient our hearts and minds towards you and help us to share with creation in your song of praise. I pray that you would make this true through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.